I want to thank you, first of all, just for coming out and braving the cold weather. uh, I personally love it. I love it. I'm from the Northwest, and so this is... uh, this is kind of like that, getting a little taste of that. How many of you walked out of the door this morning and walked right back in for that extra coat? <clears throat> I, have, I have an ice scraper, a giant ice scraper in my car that I keep for those three days out of the year that I need it. And I wielded it proudly this morning. <clears throat> I trust you all had a, a great Christmas. Uh, my family and I, we had a really nice Christmas. It was just kind of low-key. We just spent time together as a family. It's really my favorite time of year. I love Christmas. I love this time of year. Um, I, love, I love everything from the eggnog to the Christmas carols, the, you know, coming together to worship around this Christmas season, and the themes of the Advent, uh, the hope, peace, love, joy, and as we, uh, we, we focus on those things for Christmas um, but the big day is come and gone. And really one of my least favorite days out of the year is December 26th. Because it's, it's just kind of turned into a, an ugly shopping day. You know, but I, I want to I continue the festivities. You know, why, why do we have to end today? Why can't Christmas just keep going? Is it back to real life and counting the days until next Christmas? One of my favorite parts about the holiday is the anticipation which is appropriate because it's a season of hope. I love anticipating everything that's, that takes place as we celebrate, celebrate Christmas. And it's very appropriate because part of what we do is we, we hope. We hope in the fact that, that God sent his son, and that's what we celebrate. But in a very real way as followers of Christ, we hope in his second coming, just as we've been singing about, just as Lucas has, has led us in. In our celebration, we remember but we also look forward. And in light of Christmas, I would like to explore this concept of hope with you this morning. I think we generally view hope as looking forward to something or maybe even wishful thinking. I hope the department store has what I'm looking for. I hope my kids don't end up making the same mistakes that I made. I hope The Suns don't lose by one point in the last four seconds of the game. Mm. Wishful thinking. It's generally an emotion of longing for something to be true. I hope. I hope. There's often a sense that hope deals with the things of the future, but has little bearing on the details of today. But what I want to explore with you is the fact that real hope in the future transforms today. It transforms us today. As Christians, we have the hope of future glory with Jesus Christ. If Jesus is your Lord, the master of your heart and soul, you have the promise of an eternity with him. You're following Christ and you know that someday you will be in heaven with him. And while we sing about it, we have no idea what that's going to look like. We just know that it's going to be great because God's promised us that. In fact, the Bible says that we have no idea. Our our minds cannot even conceive what God has planned for us. We look forward to that day. We will be ushered into eternity in one of two ways. Either we'll die and enter into heaven that way and be with Christ, or Christ will return and everything will be made right. I don't know that we think about either one of those very often, 
but with that second one, the fact that, that Christ could come at any moment. The Bible says that. And yet I, I believe a lot of us don't really know what to do with that. Is this a promise we just think about on occasion? If you're like me, more often than not, you, you ponder Christ's second coming as being sometime in the future unknown, and upon considering whether or, or not he might return today, the answer is not likely. And we treat Christ's second coming as something we'll deal with when or if it comes, but as for today, I'm simply going to go about my business. But if every day is not likely, where's the hope? As followers of Christ, we ought to wake up and every day be a likely day that Christ will come. We have to begin seriously considering that Jesus could come today and then live our lives accordingly. Now, I'm not suggesting we, we climb to the top of Camelback Mountain and gaze into the clouds awaiting the Lord's return nor do I believe we, we pare down our hope for the future and live to our hearts content or fear a hope for the sake of disappointment. I don't believe we do either one of those. I was doing a little light leisure reading this week in Horace's Carminum Liber Primus. What? Also known as Odes 1, 2, and 3. Listen to what Horace writes. Lusa no, don't ask, it's forbidden to know, what end the gods will give me or you. Don't play with Babylonian fortune-telling either. Better just deal with whatever comes your way. Whether you'll see several more winters or whether the last one Jupiter gives you is the one even now pelting the rocks on the shore with the waves of the Tyrrhenian Sea. Be smart. Drink your wine. Scale back your long hopes to a short period. Even as we speak, envious time is running away from us. Take hold of the day, for in the future, you can believe the minimum. Carpe diem, seize the day. It's that hedonistic mantra we've all heard, seize the day because you can't expect anything from the future. We're familiar with that, aren't we? The world around us shouts that, seize the day. I'm going to live today with the expectation that there may be no tomorrow. And so I'm going to do everything I can, all I say and do, to please me. And we've become, in our sin, we've become these selfish beings that are all about ourselves, were it not for the saving grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Seize the day because you can't expect anything from the future. Where's the hope in that? This is a worldly view. It is not biblical. But it is all too familiar. As followers of Christ, our hope is all about the future. And I know how some people feel about hope. Some people look at hope and they, they view it as medication. They view it as a coping mechanism. But if you know Jesus Christ, if you're following him, you know that is not the case because our lives are based on God's promises. Promises that he's made and that have come into fruition. 
And there are still some promises that have not happened yet. One being the second coming of our Lord. The fact that we will be in heaven with him. Our hope is not based on wishful thinking. It's based on fact. It's based on truth. As followers of Christ, our hope is all about the future. But we're still trapped in time. We still live and exist today in this moment, day by day. The nature of our hope for the future is that it changes the way we live today. You see, biblical hope, the hope that God has called us to, is not just about some wishful thinking sometime in the future. It transforms us today. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul is writing this young church here. They have a lot of questions about the dead and, and, and Christ's second coming and will the dead uh, go to be with him as well. And all the, they have all these questions and so Paul is addressing a lot of these things. But I'm going to start reading verses uh, 1 through 3, 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Paul refers to this day of the Lord this day when, when Christ comes again. And we need a little bit of context here, so we're going to back up a few more verses into chapter 4. Let me read chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, as we talk about what is this day of the Lord. It says in verse 16 of chapter 4, For the Lord himself, Jesus, will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, I am not going into great detail about uh, the, the, the rapture, Christ's second coming, all of those things. There are different views and perspectives theologically, all having valid points about this. But what I want to focus on is the simple truth that this day is coming. We don't know when, we don't know what it's going to look like, but it's coming. The day of the Lord, for those of us who are followers of Christ, is a promise, and in that we hope. Paul writes here in, in chapter 5, we don't know when. It will be sudden and unexpected, particularly to those who don't know God. And it is inevitable. We don't know when. Have you ever wondered why? Why can't we know when Christ will return? It broke my heart a while back. My, my, my son, Jesse, uh, he was about six years old at the time, was crying because he wanted to see the face of Jesus and he wanted to know when that was going to happen. I could learn from that. Longing to see the face of Jesus. Why won't he tell us? Why, won't he, why can't we know when Christ will return? Well, there are several answers, but none of them are complete. 
I don't think we have all the answers to that question, but I do believe it has something to do with seizing the day today in the name of Christ as we hope for the future. We were created to know God and take joy in Him. And not just sometime in the future, but today. For whatever reason, we've, we, we entered into eternity because we put our faith in Christ and we made Him our Lord. God has left us here because He's still changing us. He's transforming us. And we can know Him today. We can take joy in Him today because God is honored and glorified as we take joy in Him. We have been called to seize the day, not because tomorrow may never come, but because of the promise of a tomorrow. Our hope can be lived today. We don't need to know when, truthfully. God has not disclosed that to us. Among, among other reasons, he knows that I'm a procrastinator. That there are things that, that, are, that are, are, are happening to me in this life that God is using to change me. And I, I believe the same for you. But there's, there's plenty of reasons. But we don't need to know when. If you're a believer, that ought not evoke uncertainty, though, but hope. Because the promise is still there. When God grabbed your heart and opened your eyes to the truth, you were reborn into eternal life. You are living in eternity right now. The Bible says that God is knowing you right now, perpetually knowing you. And because of Christ, you have the opportunity right now to be knowing him through his word, through prayer, through the Holy Spirit, through those around you who also love Jesus. We live our hope as we know God today. But for those who don't know Christ, there is uncertainty. It's such a simple question, but I love the question, where are you going to go when you die? What are you looking forward to? Because that speaks to a human need. We all have the need for hope. You, can't, you cannot argue that. We all hope in something. But for those who don't know Christ, there is uncertainty. More often than not, the answer to that question is, I, I don't know. Well, that ought to bother you. If your answer to that question is, what are you hoping for? What is, what is going to happen to you when you die? Do you believe that Jesus was the Son of God? If your answer is, I don't know, that ought to bother you. You need to do something with those questions. You need to find answers. For those who don't know Christ, the day of the Lord will be sudden and unexpected. Like a thief in the night, that day will bring destruction on those living like there is no tomorrow. No one stays up all night in bed wondering if a thief is going to break in. Unless they've been tipped off or something like that. But, but we don't do that. that. That sort of thing happens suddenly. We are, we are caught unawares when that happens. And Paul says for those people who are living for themselves, that day will be shocking. It will come like a thief in the night. Completely unexpected. But that day is inevitable as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. A woman who is pregnant knows the inevitability of that day when she gives birth to her child. It's inevitable. But these people 
who walk in darkness, who don't know Christ, they've built an existence around themselves that brings them comfort and pleasure in the moment, and they say things like there is peace and security. So many people who don't know Christ have, have, have built that hedge of security around themselves, whether it's with their charisma or their ability to make money or their relationships or their good looks or, or whatever that might look like. And they're saying it's, there's peace and security and they won't know what hit them on that day. There's no thought of future and eternity. When that day comes, their entire paradigm will shatter. And that, that serves as a warning. That is not for us as Christians to say, see, I told you so. No. We got to take that seriously. One of the reasons God has left us here, Jesus makes that very explicit at the end of Matthew, is that we are to go out and make disciples. We are the bearers of God's good news. And then he says, Look at verse 4. But you, you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Paul develops this great analogy. It's a simple one, but it's, all, it's one we can all relate to of, of day and night, of light and dark. It's one that Jesus used all the time. He says, you are not in darkness for the day to overtake you or to seize you. Because you are not walking in darkness, in the darkness of our sin, the darkness of your selfishness. You're walking in the light when that light day comes, that day of light comes when Christ returns. You'll have been already walking in the day. And it will not overtake you. It will not seize you. We get this picture of those living in darkness, living for the now, blinded to the truth, will be gripped by the sudden intrusion of the light on that day. I'm not a morning person. In high school, I, I, uh, I kept my room very, very dark. Uh, I kept it really dark. I always closed the blinds, and I had my own air conditioning unit, so I always kept it really cold. It was like a cave in there. There were stalactites growing, undocumented invertebrates under piles of dirty laundry were in there. It was gross. If I walked into my room back then, I would, I would shudder as my parents did. But I, I would often sleep in my cave under the blankets um, until noon, you know, one in the afternoon because I'd stayed up late the night before. This was when I was a teenager in high school. And my dad would, would eventually just get fed up with it because he wanted me to get up. He wanted me to participate in whatever the family was doing. And he would walk in and he would throw open the blinds and rip the blankets off. And I remember just being seized by the light. Ah! Jesus says in John 3.20, let me read this to you. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Everyone who is walking in their sin, they stay away from the truth. We have all known that a brother or sister who is just kind of doesn't come around so much anymore. It's usually because there's something they, they're hiding. 
and they need us to speak some truth and love into their life. I've talked to, to many people who understand into, intellectually that, that Jesus came, that he was a real person. They might even understand intellectually that God loves them, but practically they don't want to make that decision because they enjoy the life they're living. They enjoy the sin they're engaging in, and they just don't want to give in yet. They like the dark too much. They don't want to buy into the truth, into that light, because their deeds will be exposed, and they love their deeds. But we are children of the light and of the day, of the truth. Jesus says that the truth will set us free, like a light coming on so that we can see everything clearly as opposed to darkness. Paul says we are children of the light and of the day. He says those separately, in a very real sense, we are children of that glorious day when Christ returns. There's some great play on words going on here. Jesus was called the light. We are called lights. We are called to walk in the light. The word is called a lamp. We are called to live in the light, to be the light, to follow the light. And to live today, in that day, when Christ returns. And that is hope. The light will not seize us because we are already living in the light. So then. So then, verse 6. This is where Paul begins to give practical instruction on how to live our hope today. How does, what does this look like? How do we live our hope today? How to, how to seize the, the day in light of that day of the Lord, the certain return of Christ. Verse 6, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Keep awake, he says. How do you live your hope today? Stay awake. Don't succumb to spiritual slumber. This is so convicting to me because there are many days gone past in my life where I can look back and, and admit I walked that day in spiritual slumber. I walked that day with numerous people walking by me knowing that they probably don't know God. They're walking in darkness and I've said nothing. I've succumbed to spiritual slumber. When I don't take advantage of a, of a teachable moment with my kids. Don't live your day without the conscious awareness of the truth that you are sons and daughters of God and that every moment of every day is a chance to know him more. I have this really wonderful ability to fall asleep anywhere at any time. Uh, my wife hates it because I, I can just fall asleep in the middle of chaos when our three kids are r running all over the place and crawling all over me, and I, I try not to do that, but I, I can. I can fall asleep, and the world just fades away. I do this terrible thing sometimes when we're camping. I don't know why I do this. I've done it a couple times to my wife where, you know, it's dark. It's kind of scary. You're in the tent, and we're laying there, and maybe we're just kind of, just kind of whispering, talking. All of a sudden, I'll say, shh, did you hear that? <laughs> and I leave my wife just, hear what? 
she's awake for hours wondering what I heard. It's awful. I'm, I'm a bad person. But we do that spiritually. We succumb to spiritual slumber, and it's so easy sometimes to just let the world fade away, just kind of focus in on ourselves, and it becomes selfish and sinful. So what does this look like? What does spiritual awareness, awakeness look like? Uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I want to draw some conclusions here from Ephesians chapter 5. Starting in verse 11, Paul writes, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Three things I see here, what it means to stay awake spiritually. Here's the first one. Choose your steps. Be careful how you walk. Be very decisive in what you say and what you do so that it honors God. Every so often I go hunting with some friends and we go out into the desert early in the morning. It's, it's still dark, but it's that time of the year where rattlesnakes are out. So we have our flashlights and, and we have our, our headlamps on and we're very, very determined in every step. Because one time my friend was walking, he was leading the way and he literally went like this, hey, because <laughs> there's about a four foot rattlesnake coiled up in there. We are very careful about where we step. We ought to be careful as followers of Christ where we step, how we speak, how we treat those around us, the decisions that we make. Psalm 119, 105, your, lamp is, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is, this is our word, and it's, it's almost like it's our, our headlamp, our, our light to our path so that we know where we're going, so that we're treading in the right place. Here's the second thing. Make the best use of your time. I love this sentence. It's really what I'm talking about here. Make the best use of your time. Seize the day. As 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you. Be purposeful. Make the best use of your time. Don't let things or opportunities slip away. If you, if you hear that small voice of, of the Holy Spirit in you, act on it. And then discern right from wrong, which is really what happens naturally as we walk in the light. Things aren't so gray when we're walking in the light. They're vivid. The contours are sharp and the colors are vivid. We're able to make decisions and discern right from wrong. And then Paul says to be sober. He gives another analogy here. Those who are drunk make poor, miscalculated choices and often display wild swings in emotion. Spiritual sobriety looks like temperateness and balance. And so as not to be too vague, Paul brings us back to the three signs of Christian vitality. Three things that we always, 
we always need to go back to. We've got to check the pulse, spiritually speaking. When someone is not healthy, we check their vital signs. Here are the vital signs of someone who is walking with the Lord. Faith, love, and hope. If we can identify those things in us and to those around us, then we're headed in the right direction. Now, none of us is perfect. None of us has it figured out. But we ought to be striving for faith, love, and hope. Faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Love, treating others as more important than yourself. And hope, the hope of salvation, the hope in the knowledge that Christ will return. That everything will be made perfect that we cannot even conceive what God has planned for us, that hope of salvation. Paul goes on in verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, For God has not destined us for wrath, for his wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. When, when Jesus died on the cross, he took on the wrath of God that we deserve. We are no longer destined for God's wrath because Jesus took that in our place if you believe that he did. And he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Our hope in that day only, uh, is in that day only because of Christ's sacrifice for us. And that is a promise and a hope already realized in our hearts. You see, we can't even hope in that day if we aren't thankful and have trusted our lives in that day that, that, that God sent his son and that day that he was crucified and that day when he rose again. Therefore, verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Encourage one another. This is, this is so fascinating to me because what I realize here is that your hope is my responsibility as well and, you, and my hope is your responsibility as well. You see, we live hope in community. We live out this hope in that day together and we encourage one another in that. We build each other up. This is it's how we live out our hope in the community. There are two types of encouragement that I see here. There's affirmation and there's exhortation. And we do so with our words and actions. We affirm and we exhort as we encourage one another. Here's the difference. Um, a while back I was doing some, uh, some home repairs and I had, there was some siding on the outside of our house, some big four by eight sheets of this T111 siding. And I was ripping it off because of the sun damage to replace it. And as I was working outside, it was a nice day. My wife was sitting in a chair over here, and we were just having conversation. I love it when my, my wife just uh, is, is there with me as I'm working and doing things, kind of bring me that companionship. And I'm working hard, and I, I've got the first part off, and I, I start pulling on the second, and it's just not budging. I mean, I'm, I'm able to really kind of pry on it, but it's not going anywhere. And I'm getting sort of frustrated. I'm exerting myself. And my wife is sitting on the chair there, and she's, go, she's saying, Go, honey, you can do it. You can do it. She's affirming me. She's saying, you got this. You can do it. She's being a cheerleader for me. And I was down like this. I was, I was pulling on it, pulling on it. And I was down like this, just resting, just wondering how I'm going to get this thing off. And my daughter, Shelby, who's four, my wife is over there. She's affirming me. You can do this. You can do it. But my daughter, she walks up to me and whispers in my ear, Maybe you should pull harder. <laughs> Ask me if I pulled harder. You bet I pulled harder. My little girl just called me out. That's exhortation. 
I got that thing off. That is exhortation. Some of us, many of us, all of us need to be told you can do this. You got this. Jesus is, I see Jesus in you in the way that, that you, you treated that person or that decision that you made. Or, or you're, you're going to get through this because God has promised that, 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 that he's going to carry you through this. But we all at some point in our lives, maybe it's you right now, need to hear, maybe you should pull harder. That one's a little more difficult. That one's speaking the truth in love. Bringing the word of God to a brother and sister and saying, look, this is, this is what you're doing or what you're saying. And this is what the word says. And you've been called to something better than that. Maybe you should pull harder. That's what encouragement looks like. Affirmation and exhortation. Both drive us toward hope. And he says, just as you are doing. It reminds us that there is no such thing as a season of encouragement. It's way too easy to, to dish out criticism, isn't it? Other things below our breath or even talk about people behind their back or maybe some of us are bold enough to just walk right up to somebody and criticize. We need to be much more fervent and diligent and disciplined to encourage one another. Leave the criticism. Encourage, affirm, exhort. Followers of Christ, we are called to seize the day. Not because we don't know what tomorrow might bring, but because we live in the hope and anticipation of the promise of that glorious day when Christ returns and gathers his church. Let us live today with a keen awareness of those around us and take risks with people. When you rush to someone who is grieving, everything in you might be saying, ah, just leave them alone. You have seized the day. When you speak the truth in love to a wayward brother or sister in Christ, you have seized the day. When you rejoice with those who rejoice, when you give a thoughtful word of encouragement, when you tell a friend who doesn't know Jesus that he is the only way, you have seized the day. And when that great day comes, it will be entirely familiar because you've already been walking in the light of that day. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I, I get so excited to think about the future that this life is not all that there is, that there's so much more, things that we, we can't even fathom or imagine. God, I praise you for that. God, I praise you for your son that you sent him as we just celebrated. And God, I praise you for the promises that come true time and time again in your word. And it is, it is partly based on those that we, we believe in the promise, God, that, that you will come again. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit that seals us in our conviction of that great day. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the boldness, the courage to take risks, to seize the day today in your name. Not in our name, not because tomorrow might not come, but because tomorrow is coming. Because you are coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming out this morning. I hope you all have a, just a really blessed day. Thank you.